Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. For Ray, come on up. Just so you know, we, we are going to receive a second offering at the end for Ray. You know, it is true when you... It is true. This is not... When you sow into an anointing, you know, you reap from where you sow. So just have that on your heart, you know, to sow in as God leads you. Ray, sorry, go for it. God bless you, man. Well, good morning, y'all. How, how many of this is the first time we have gotten to meet if we don't know each other yet? If, so everybody we've met before, you've, you've been here when I was here before? Not, a couple of you have? Well, good to meet y'all. I, I pray this is a good day for you. And um, I pray that the Lord just um, help me say something that will count in your life. Um, I'm, go- I'm going to start off in First Chronicles today. And, uh, um, you know, <clears throat> I always remind myself that um, some people talk about stuff. Some people can uh, teach you important things about important things. And uh, some people carry forever words. And so I always ask the Lord... To help me find forever words today, that it'll that and on, somehow will be a part of of a remembrance that He'll put in your life that you'll get to carry that'll become a part of the forever that you were that you were born to be. Because we're not just us; uh, we are we have our individuality and we have our personalities and our public personas and all that kind of stuff, but. It, we're not just us. You know, I've, I've said many times that the best time to impact the life of a child is about 100 years before he's born. And we need to think not with five-year plans for our life, but 500-year visions for the kingdom. And uh, what, what gets set in motion today in your life very well could be, and it's proven historically, but it very well could be, Seeds that are sown that will that will be harvested and there'll be fruit from for the for the rest of your life and end into your children and your children's children and your children's children's children, and because we really need to think uh, multi generationally and covenantially, uh, because our God does. Now I also know that that we have to think seasonally. And so part of what I want to do today is I want to talk about, and I want to answer some of the, uh, you know, we had a, a gathering yesterday over at um, Emmanuel Center. And uh, it was a, quite an eclectic group from all, all around the area. And some of them drove for probably five or six hours, and it was only three miles away because it's London. <laughs> you know, I, I remember the other day... <laughs> The other day, I got a, you know, JG uh, picked me up at the airport. We drove about forty-five minutes, and I could still see the airport. It's, it's right over there. Um, uh, but, but not only did people just come from from different pla- parts of London, we came from different parts of the world, and we're uh, carrying the little nuances of culture and the nuances of 
personality born out of born out of DNA. And so what I want to do, uh, but there were some questions. Uh, I, I tried to sort of interweave a lot of the questions into the message yesterday, but I didn't get to fully do that because it went so many wonderful directions. But I'm going to try to do that today and uh, speak to some of those things that were n- n- not issues, but topics of, uh, and I'll say topics of intrigue because I'm intrigued by the wonder of God. And uh, and so what I want to do today, I'm going to just dive in, and I'm going to start in First Chronicles chapter 16, um, which is the first song that would have been sung in the days of the Tabernacle of David. And the Tabernacle of David was that time where there had been no, no, no if you can imagine this, you're God's people, but there had been no worship for a generation. So in the whole generation of Saul, there had been no worship. One of the reasons... Uh, for that, well, the reasons are so many we won't even get into it because because Saul reacted to the presence and purposes of God in his life more than he responded to the will of God in his life, and because of that reaction, uh, which basically created his own sense of um, person, uh, feeling arrogant enough that he could do life apart from. Uh, an interactive relationship with God, I don't get it either, but he, but that's who he was. And <clears throat> if you look at David's life and Saul's life, again, I'll say it one time, the biggest difference was both, both of them were flawed men, but when Saul sinned, it hardened his heart. When David sinned, it broke his heart. That's the real difference in who they were. And so because of his hardened heart, he began to react to the presence of God. And one important fact became a reality. And Samuel pointed it out when he was talking to him. He said, remember back when you were little in your own eyes? When you were little in your own eyes and you were not creating temples around, uh, around your, your, your self-absorbed personality, I did amazing and wonderful things for you and through you. And he did. But now we get to the tabernacle of David, it's a very different thing. Worship becomes, so the center of, let's say it like this, the center of the kingdom was not the throne of David. The center of the kingdom was the throne of God. And may we be alive in a generation where that becomes true. The center of the, uh, the center of the church, no longer the pulpit, but the center of the church be the presence in the throne of God. And so around that, around the presence of God, they lived, they lived a generation. And as that generation began, they, David delivered the first song. And when he delivered this song, when we start singing for 33 years, 33 and a half years, nonstop, there's going to be a song and a sound released in that generation. Didn't stop 24, seven, 365 days a year. And this is the song it said, and, and it's in 16, first Chronicles 16 chapter verse seven. It says, on that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Now, when he brought the song to Asaph, he was one of the three chief musicians. Asaph, his name means the gatherer, and he was a percussionist. Okay? Basically, he set the the tempo, if you will, for what's going to happen for the next 33 years. And it was a song with a promise that in the last days, I'm going to do it again. Now, I want to try to get past just this rudimentary, elementary aspect of what the tabernacle of David was about. And I want to quickly, if you don't mind, I'll kind of pass up a lot of stuff, a lot of the things that I've brought here before. So I'm just going to kind of trust that you, 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 you remember them. Uh, 
but what he did is when he put that song in motion that day, uh, he said, give thanks to the Lord. So it's primarily, we're going to be a generation that live with thankful hearts. We're going to be a generation that lives with a thankfulness that overrides all sense of loss of the last generation. That's what's happening. New sound, new day, new song. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing psalms to him. And any time you see, see sing psalms to him, it's a compound Hebrew word. Uh, it's, it's, it's the word zakar. Uh, uh, excuse me, it's the word zamar, which means to pluck the strings and to twang the harp. And, and it literally means to twang the harp. That's a pretty good sound effect. <laughs> it works really good in this room. <laughs> oh, I just heard it again. Come back around. But he said, but twang. To, and it literally means to play, take your hand. The word there, oh, give thanks, is yada. Yada. Yad is hand. So you're going to take your hand to express your thanks. Then you're going to take that hand and twang and release a sustained frequency into the room that carries the intent of your proposed praise that is going to cause the atmosphere to tremble at the sound of the intent of your heart. Now, that's how important it is for us to understand this whole idea of frequency. Okay? So you sing to him, sing psalms. So you, when you zamar, you twang. And that, that also tells us that God loves country music. <clears throat> yeah, the foundation of it all is twang. You do understand that. All right. <clears throat> and, and when you do that, you're going to sing to him, sing, sing to him. And that's the word shira. Remember that word? Walk about as a strolling minstrel, releasing the sound of the intent of your existence into the atmosphere. So what I want you to see is that it's continually calling upon us for a physical manifestation of an inward response. Or a physical response of an inward heart attitude is what it is. And as a being, as a, as a being, our wholeness is directly connected to spirit, soul, and body. Our wholeness of our humanity is specifically directed, uh, connected to our ability to respond to his presence and his word with song. It's, it's an incredible thing, this thing called music. Me, uh, music is, is, a, is a force in the earth is what it is. It, and nothing moves humanity like music. Every emotion. See, music affects you psychologically. It affects you uh, mentally, neurologically. Uh, it also, it affects your emotions. It affect, and also, it actually has an impact upon you even down to the cellular level. It's an, uh, it's an amazing force is what it is. And when you see the, and have a biblical understanding of what music is all about, you'll find out that you can just take it, I'll show you how multidimensional it is here. Talk of his wondrous works. You are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And we are, we are a wonder of God. And our spirit, soul, and body, the triunity, the trinity of who we are is responding to the trinity of who he is, the one who created it all. So we talk of his wondrous works. We glory in his name. Now that is a, we see, a, see that as the word glory, but it's also another one of the Hebrew words that's most of the time, actually 99 times is translated praise. Here is glory. What's, what's the connection? Well, it's the word halal. To rave, to boast, be clamorously foolish, to act madly, to radiate and shine. And it has to do with light more often than it does sound. Because it's halal, ya, or halal, rave, boast, clamorously foolish, act madly, radiate, shine unto Yah, Yahovah, the uncreated pre-existing God. So when we glory in his presence, sing halal in his presence, what you're doing is we're accessing the God who said, let there be light. So our song is coming into agreement with the frequency by which his name speaks, creates. And that's when matter or mystery became matter and he said light and it became life. So there's a song in us that carries the resonation or the radiance of the frequency of the nature of God into the atmosphere. That's one of the reasons it was so important to speak the word. To say the word, sing the word, declare the word, shout the word, shout. And with every one of them carrying the intent of God, you are literally changing atmospheres and you're lighting dark places with the name that is above every name. And that's why when you see the, see the sound of his voice in Genesis and what it carried, and then you look at the sound of his voice in, in John, and John is that Genesis where light became flesh and his word. And, and we always, we know the definitions of w- the word word, you know, there's a few in scripture, but we see, well, we know that one word is the rhema, the quickened word, and then the logos, which is the, and we, they told us it's written word, but it's not. Back in the eighties, they told us logos is the written word. It's not the, that's not even true. It's something sounded, something uttered. You are setting atmosphere in motion. You're invading atmospheres with the intent of the truth of God's word. And every sound, every syllable, every phrase comes at a particular frequency. And now one of the questions is, can you explain the frequencies and uh, can you explain the other frequencies and if there is a relationship with the Bible to the human body? Yeah, they've discovered now, for example, um, they use sound for, for healing and, and light for healing. Uh, let, let's, let's pretend, let's, I don't, anything that has matter or has weight and occupies space is matter, right? Well, that means that your pancreas has, has weight and occupies space. It exists. And because it exists, it has to vibrate at the, at the frequency that it was created to vibrate at. And if you ever get, if you ever get diseased or sick or there's a malady, there's an impedance that, that stops the frequency of the vibration that was created to vibrate 
slows down because of sickness or disease and impedes the energy that can go through that organ. It's sick. It's diseased. It's not singing the note it was created to sing. But they know now that if through what's called sympathetic vibrations, for, uh, sympathetic vibrations mean you sound a note and something comes into agreement with it. Like, like I could take the guitar and uh, I could sing to that guitar and it would sing back. And I wouldn't even have to touch it. You ever seen anybody do that? You know, well, can I do that? Hey, 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 Nate, can I borrow your guitar? Is it plugged up? It don't have to. It's, it's okay. I think I can get it in this microphone. So what happens is you take, take a... Thank you. Thank you. All right. I think we got it. Nah, I think we just do it like this. Let's quiet it. Hallelujah. 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 Holy. Holy, 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 hallelujah. Can you hear it singing? See, what's happening is, is I'm speaking to it and it is coming into agreement with. And it's, you know what agreement is? It's the word symphonio. Where two or more agree, we're going to hear a sound from heaven speaking back to the intent that we release into. It's the sound of heaven. We can open the heavens through the song. The Bible tells us that, right? We, we can interact with heaven in that way. But here's the way frequency works. If I go over here to David's piano and I hit the A note right in the middle, there'll be 440 invisible frequencies come through the room and your ear will hear 440 vibrations per second. Your eardrum will vibrate. And when it does, it goes over and tells the auditory nerve, would you go over and tell the brain that that's an A? And so when you hear that note, uh, 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 you find it, that's where you come into agreement with that note. Are you with me? If you go up a note, it wouldn't be 440 vibrations in a second. It's going to be higher pitch, higher frequency of wave. Go lower until you go up 700 octaves. Then you get above the hearing. It, it becomes light. See, it crosses the threshold because it's wave and particle either way. So it goes all the way up 700. And now you no longer hear it. You see it. Are you with me? So when God spoke, matter heard, <laughs> but he was speaking all of the frequencies in the sound spectrum and beyond were spoken at once. And matter began to tremble because it was already sitting there in the, in the dark void nothingness, but it, was, it was, but it existed. The earth was, there it was, but it was without form and, and it was void. 
So, but it was it existed. So what was happening is, is all the subatomic particles of that matter that was earth was sitting there trembling in anticipation, waiting for the voice of the Lord that was hovering over the dark and the, over the deep. But when he spoke intent, it came into agreement and all things were created. Now, if we go up another frequency and another frequency, or if you go down lower frequencies, it gets down so low, it goes subsonic. Means sub below our hearing, ultrasonic above our hearing. Now, you look at that threshold all the way across. There are particular frequencies that cause particular responses in your anatomy. You can take a particular note and put it in this room, and everybody in the room would have a headache in a few minutes. You can take a, a, a 30W electro voice speaker, like a 30W bass reflex speaker, and put it in this room with a tone generator that below our hearing, you can put a note in the room that will take this building off of its foundation, and we wouldn't even know what, we wouldn't even hear it, but we would feel it. There are atmospheres like in fact, factories and places like that that are generating so many frequencies that it causes physical damage to people that work there. They have to monitor those things over time. But see, God created the sound of his voice to carry presence and healing and awaken the voice of who you are to come into agreement with the frequency you were born to sing. And so when he, and I've, I've told y'all, you know why he did that, because he's awesome. But, but also, that tells me if your pancreas is sick, there's a note in God's vocabulary that he wants to sing his word and release his word and his logos right into that sick pancreas and awaken it to vibrate exactly the song it was born to sing, just like I did a few minutes ago with that guitar. All right? So now when you think about that, uh, what's happened is, is the world has discovered, and they know this, uh, and, and with, with it has come a lot of strange ideas because people, see, we all, uh, many of our institutions teach music education, but in fact, music is God education. See, we won't get trapped in the music aspect of it because it stimulates and does, causes us to experience things and all that. But in fact, it's supposed to be a part of the experience of God is how he created it to be. And so when you, when you look into the world uh, out there, you'll hear things like, uh, 741 hertz carries a particular expression. And then you got 417, 432, 528. All these different frequencies that carry different expression. I want to get out of this sciencey stuff if we can here real quick. I hope it's, you're, you're interested. But, but, the, but the fact is there are particular sounds that are... Uh, but here's the thing. Like A440 is international standard pitch. So every instrument is tuned. The A note vibrates 440 times. That's international standard. It hasn't always been international standard. At one time, there was many standards for many orchestras, right? For example, if you're in Hungary, uh, a composer there would not, it would not have been 440 back in the day. Or if you're in Germany, it might have been 528. Or if uh, one composer might have been 517, so on. It would be the standard. Now, how did these folks like Haydn, the father of modern symphony, 
He's father of modern symphony. He wrote 103 symphonies, and he was the first to do that because in days of like a chamber orchestra, four or five pieces, they would look at the, he looked at these guys and said, well, that is so beautiful. The textures cause so much responses in my emotions and in my life, and it's so enriching to my life. What would happen if we took that four-piece band or five-piece band and turned it into not one violin, but 24 violins? Not one cello, but eight cellos. Not one, oh, but, you know, in other words, he, he started to dream. And pretty soon we had what's called symphony. And so he wrote 103 symphonies and changed the world. By, and you know where he got his, got his uh, inspiration? Walking in the forest in the cool of the evening. And he began to dream. Because he could hear a sound that he had never heard as if, I, you know, this for, just for giggles, what if it was the, he was hearing the sound that was missing in Adam and Eve's life? Because remember, after sin entered in, it says, in that day they were afraid of the sound of God in the garden. They were walking in the garden and suddenly the sound of, the, of all those frequencies, like all the bird song in the water, all that stuff became, you know, imposing to them because they had lost that intimacy with God and they were now afraid of his sound. But, yeah, yeah, instead of enriched and soothed and all the things that the sound of the voice of God across all the spectrums, you know. But now you think, who, like Handel and Haydn, uh, how did they get their their standard for pitch? Well, Haydn would lay a violin on his shoulder and he would pull an A note until he felt his heart respond. And he'd hand it to the first chair of the violins and say, tune everybody to this. It awakens my heart. And, lay, and, and he was so sensitively tuned to the, to the music that he would write, hearing the inspiration from creation, he was so sensitive in that that he, they realized later when they made a tuning fork for people to tune to that what he, he was, his A note was 432 vibrations per second. Not like what we have today is 440. We, where, how do we wind up with 440? We didn't have international standard pitch until 19, about 1950 almost. Now, some people tried to do it in the former generation during the days of the Civil War. A fellow named Deegan tried to impose an international standard pitch. So when you bring your instrument from, from the U.S. to England or from England to the U.S. or to Germany or wherever, that all the nations would be able to automatically play together with the instruments that are untunable, right? But so here's ballad. We needed international standard pitch. But here's what happened. It, it, it could never get it to happen. It could never, our technologies and our, our unity and togetherness across the nations wasn't strong enough to make it happen until Rockefeller and the Nazi party cre- got together and they created 440 as the international standard pitch. But 440 that all the whole world tunes to today, that 440 is divisible by two and it brings, it means tension competition, conflict, and, uh, and uh, this thing, right? There's tension in that. But they use 432. 432. 
divisible by three, which is harmony, agreement, and unity. And now, now, you, well, you say, well, wait a minute, though. You can, you can uh, divide 432 in two as well, but there's something different about what's called the harmonic ratio because there are numbers around a tone that, anyway, I don't want to get too deep into it, but, but the, here, here's, the, here's the fact. What happens at 432, there's a very different experience. And so when, when Haydn, Joseph Haydn wrote, wrote the, what was it called? A creation symphony? Oh, yeah. Creation symphony, his most powerful and famous symphony. And hundreds of testimonies of when he would take that huge orchestra and play creation. And when he got to the part where that explosion of energy and light, where God said light, that orchestra acoustically would go to about 130 dBs, just explode in the room as they would roar. And, and it said, and it said many testimonies written where people, when that would happen, that they would see light come into the room. So uh, all of the, everything firing within the brain and then the, the neurological systems and all that would respond to that note. And they could never really figure out why. Even on his deathbed, they brought him in and played Creation Symphony in his presence. And this old man laying there on his deathbed, and they hit that note, and he springs up off there, and he said, it came from there, the glory of God. It came from there, shaking his bony finger, trying to point, and trembling because of the impact of that note. And, and uh, but if you, 432 Square rooted by 432 is 186,000.246. It is the speed of light. And now, uh, I'm trying to get out of this, this sciencey boring stuff. But the fact of the matter is, there's some things out there that we may not know. There's some things in the spirit realm that can be realized in the natural realm that just might be some of what God wants to reveal to a generation that has been a lot of, many times invaded by strange, weird philosophies and new age terminology and all these kind of things. I'm not afraid of the new age. I, re, I understand recycled paganism. I know what it is. But, and, and, but, I'm, but I also want to applaud them for being the ones that care enough to go after things that they don't even understand when most of us Christians we we cocoon ourselves away in our religious fear and we don't even have enough bravery to step out into a place places like that and to explore and discover because we're afraid we're going to be demonized by something and in fact is you're not going to get slimed they might get lightified Why do we always have to be the ones that are motivated by fear? Because m- fear is a part of control. And the religious systems of the world, most of them move out of fear. And that's one of the reasons you hear people say like, 440, that's the demonic thing that everybody plays out there. It's 440 divisible by two. There's tension and contention and competition and all that. Well, what do we just do? Listen, guys, 440 belongs to God too. It all belongs to him, but we, but, but because they come up these terminologies and you, and you know, they're not, those terminologies are not, are not hard to find. Uh, I don't, I don't even want, let's get out of this. 
I'm just telling you, we got a God bigger than all that. We got a God who is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. We have a, we have a God that is, that is so full of his own glorious nature that he expresses it in love by creating the entire universe out of the insp- or the, his motivation is love. For God so loved, not it's fear, no. For God so loved the world, world, cosmos, the order by which all things were created to function and exist. Every star that hangs there is an expression of his love. Every flower that grows, expression of his love. Everything, expression of his love. Now, if we, and, and look here what they were saying. Glory, halal, yah, in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his uh, seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob. Hey, y'all are his chosen ones of all of creation. You're his chosen ones. We're sitting in a room full of chosen ones. This is, this is the chosen. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. That word judgments, I won't belabor it, but what that word really means there is what he says are in all the, all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. So when you, when you find yourself being compelled to express the deepest and fullest you, it'll always have a song connected to it. It'll have a sound connected to it. That's what, even when you meditate upon the word. Meditation in David's, in the Hebrew understanding of meditation is a Hebrew word which means to murmur to moan and to roar. Mm, mm. It's always giving voice to something that's taking place, an outward sign of an inward work, an outward expression. But <clears throat> let's, and, 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 and you know, if, if we're going to be those who carry the sound of God's glory, it's not about having deeper thoughts. It's about accessing deeper silences in your life. What practical steps can we take to sharpen our spiritual ear? Deeper silences. What practical steps? Well, I'll just get real practical with you. Get in the Word of God and then go for a walk. And you walk to the rhythm and the pace and the delight of your heart. Not to the rhythm and the pace of the demands of responsibility in the world, but you walk to the pace of the rhythm of your heart. And we got to live our lives where we're, not, where we're not driven by purpose. I know whoever wrote The Purpose Driven Life, I've not read it, and I'm sure it's good and it's healthy and all that. I don't even know what the guy says. But I do know this. I don't want my purposes to drive me. I don't want to be driven by person, pur- purpose. I want to be drawn by his presence. And now we go on this on the walk with him. If you want to really, if you, if you want to, if you want to really learn something, read a book. But if you want to have a knowing, go for a walk in the rain. 
and walk at the pace of your own heart. And it shouldn't be any trouble to find a rainy day over here somewhere. <laughs> but in, in, in answer to the practical steps to sharpen our spiritual ear, I encourage people to learn how to psalm. Every uh, Psalming is, a, is, is an exercise. No, it's supposed to be a lifestyle. <laughs> and, and what I encourage you to do is, is daily write the Psalms. Oh, not everybody reads the Psalms. What about writing the Psalms? When you write the Psalms, something entirely different happens in your life. You actually get to slow your life down and you take the pen and across the silent page, you dance the truth right into your knowing. Because, and I want to tell you, it's very important, very important to write in cursive. 40, 49 of our states have eliminated cursive writing in our school systems. I don't know how y'all, but about you guys over here. 49 states. Of the, because we're now, and this, we're becoming this people now. And that's all tactical in a, in a very different way, and it has a neurological effect that is entirely different than this. Why, uh, why is cursive so important? Well, for, let me tell you, why do we write cursive anyway? Well, for, for one thing is when not only do you have to focus to write the S, but you also have to be creative enough to connect it to the next one coming. <laughs> and, and the next one. And the next one, and the next one. And, and how did we wind up writing in cursive? Well, because of a young boy, 13 years old, his, his name was uh, Rogers Platt Spencer. Uh, he was walking one day. He loved to walk in the forest in the cool of the evening. He loved to be out in nature. And this is back in the day, man. I mean, he, and, that, no television, no texting, none of that. He just loved to be out in nature. And while he's walking one day, he looks and he realizes the wind coming across this wheat field is bending the, the, the wheat to a beautiful 52-degree slant. And he just realizes the beauty of that. And then he looks away and he sees the wind carrying the waves in at a 52-degree angle. And he notices that every, God is expressing himself and the beauty of creation by breathing on the earth and its response is at a 52 degree angle. So he says, you know what? When I express my heart unto the God who created me, I'm going to do it at a 52 degree slant as well because he must love the depth of that expression. And so his handwriting was born out of the singular expressing of his uniqueness to God. And that's how we wound up with cursive writing. So it was an expression of worship. So now when you take up the Psalms daily, let it be a, a discipline, task, no, a delight to express yourself. And I know some of you said, man, you ain't seen my hand scratching. Yeah. I got the ugliest handwriting in the world. God's going to have to understand well, <laughs> well, he does. He does understand. But let the beauty of creation be found in everything that you do. And what happens is, is your song comes alive and you start having an ear to see, to hear, to feel, to express. Because, again, you're doing that beautiful dance with the pen 
and I encourage you to have a really nice pen. You got a nice pen, don't you? Okay. Have a really nice journal and so on. And for any of you that don't know, uh, I, I make pens. But our, uh, that was not a commercial, but I happen to have. <laughs> Just so happened. Uh, but, uh, but and, and what you do is you get to walk at the rhythm of your own heart as you're meditating upon the words, upon the word. And it, it changes the way you see scripture, changes the way you live your life and what it does. It's a practical way that we can sharpen our spiritual ear, okay? The next question was, how do you, how do you know how to balance your time between being a craftsman, a musician, songwriter, a speaker, a minister, etc., so that you are being the most effective uh, in uh, most effective in each of those while re- while remaining true to your own unique identity. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> so we'll just move on. <clears throat> oh, oh, okay. I'm trying to figure out the best way to answer that one quickly. Quickly is this. How how do you know how to balance? I'm not sure we know how. I think we live our lives and uh, as best we can just extract all of the nectar of life that we can get in our journey and get in our walk. Uh, Because there's no shortage of the wonder of God out there. And if we live our lives awake and aware, life is never going to be boring because heaven's not. Well, and, and, and uh, that kind of ties to, let me tie that together with something here. One of the reasons, one of the ways to know how to balance all of those things, first of all, be willing to embrace them all. Because a lot of folks want to tell you, you know, be single-minded, single-focused. This is who you are. Hoe your own row. Do what you, own it. Well, I'm glad Da Vinci didn't listen to that nonsense. Some of the greatest inventors, some of the greatest explorers, some of the great, you know what they really were? Determined dreamers who were willing to dream courageously and step out beyond their comfort zones continually. And, and when the dream comes, immediately try to discern and understand, is that a dream of God coming to my life? I'm not going to pass that up for my safeness and sameness because remember what we've done in church in many of our institutions what we do is we sink everyone to the lowest common denominator creatively and we call that unity when in fact it's not unity it's sameness and if if we create sameness amongst everybody what we're doing is we're creating atmospheres of imposing fear to step out when in fact you may not be created just to be living a mundane, boring existence, only focusing on one thing. But some are created by God to have an understanding and a very very deliberate focus and direction of their life, and they're supposed to be faithful to it and live that out and make your mark. But there are also those creative ones that carry the wonder of God and they're fully awake and aware to everything that moves, every breeze that blows. We wouldn't have cursive writing if that young man had to just looked at the ground and walked. 
He would have only seen a path that he was on. But instead, he raised his head to wonder. And because he would raise his head to wonder. And, and on a practical level, that might mean playing an instrument you don't have a clue how to play. That might be t- doing art and you have no, you've never wanted, but you've always thought. Just a little bit. Man, I, you, know, you know what I'd love? I'd love to play the cello. Oh, no, I'm not a cello player. Or I always wanted to do so. You know, you got that little, little seed thing that's kind of always been there. What if Joseph had have lost his dream? Sometimes just those simple little dreams, those seed phrases, singular encounters that you had when you were four years old or six years old was actually a part of the voice of God awaking you to an awareness that would determine what your future held. But if you look away from that and say, oh, that's just child. When I got to be an adult, I put childish things away. Well, let's get the child back, awake and aware and alive in us again. Let's, let's, let's waken that child. Go ahead and dream again. And we could stay on that a long time, but I, and I, I won't. Do, any, do you have any advice how to hone how to hone multifaceted giftings in a way that synergizes them and causes them all to prosper the other. Yeah, what, I think that's what the business world uh, calls uh, multiple velocity, where everything's sort of working, is working for one another in tandem. Well, in fact, all things work together for you. You cannot... Outdream God for your life. It's just the, how you priority, prioritize your definition of success is what makes you do what you're going to do. Because we all, we all feel like to really be alive, we got to be successful. And you're not created for success, you're created for obedience. Because what happens is that sometimes we move in delusion with our dreams. When, in, when, when God's looking to bring a sense of focus to dream his dreams for our life and all things then work together for good for those that are, that love God and are, yeah, those are called according to his purpose. So there are purposes that you're born for that you're called to. But I don't necessarily like this idea, and you'll understand what I'm saying. You've heard me say it before probably. Uh, the, this, this call of God, I don't always embrace all the ramifications of what that carries because it sounds a bit religious and pretentious to me. Well, I'm called of God to do so-and-so. Well, in fact, is it's not about your calling. It's about your caring. What God has caused you to care about is going to cause you to come fully alive. If you, if you, if I'm called to be an educator or a school teacher, well, if it's a calling, it's something that is somehow is kind of separated from your heart. You'll never really be effective at that. And and if, so, if you're just trying to become a successful teacher versus a caring to make sure that you're hitting the mark, not in your life, but in someone else's. You know, it's a value system thing. Real success is carrying the love of God enough to really, this little pretty lady here is not just some another person in another church, and I'm going to be in another one next week. I'm serious when I say things like, I don't want to go around just preaching sermonettes for Christianettes. 
I want to carry forever words that somehow God puts his grace and mercy on and awakens something in that little gal. And I may never get to see her again. But I just ha- I have a sense to, uh, that there's a, a caring of God is going to awake some, awaken something in her that's going to cause her to see, feel, know, and experience God. I mean, it's, and, and you know what, guys? It can't be this pretentious church talk. It's got to be real. It's got to be something. If you're going, if you're going to do this stuff, you got. Uh, you don't just keep leaving home for church services. Okay. Um, so, any advice? I'm not sure. It's yeah. Here's here's some advice. With King David holding both political and priestly importance, wow, in Israel's history, what lessons are there to be learned for the modern worshiper? There he was. He was ecclesiastical authority as well as priestly authority and governmental authority. He, he really was a triune anointing, prophet, priest, and king. Everything about his life was pointing to Jesus, though. He was pointing to the real Trinity. Are you hearing me? So what was, with King David holding both offices, political and priestly, what lessons are to be learned for the modern worshiper in this? Stay away from delusion of identity and self-worth. Develop a healthy understanding of who God created you to be and be that with all your heart. It's really not about people that go after titles. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, and, and I, please don't be, anybody be offended at this, especially in that day that we're alive. Why would anybody in the world want to call themselves a reverend when they're trying to give their life to a lowly shepherd? That's the way, you know, it wasn't about some, see, titles bring about a sense of, entitlement and this is not about entitlement you guys this is it's not about building a ministry it's about how we're going to give our lives away that's what this thing's about and if if we're going to if we're going to give our lives away it better be the very best sacrifice that we could possibly possibly give to one who loves us enough to be a sacrifice and and so but with that also, it's, it's not just, there comes some functional responsibility with what you carry. So I don't want to belittle that and take that away either. Uh, but if your self-worth is built in the way man acknowledges how well you do what you do, it can, it can cripple you, cripple your journey. Now, <clears throat> uh, with King David, oh, I did that one. And, uh, and, and I think it would uh, behoove us to, and we, you know how we all need a good behooving from time to time. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it would behoove us if we'd quit trying to figure out how to fit under a title of the five-fold ministry when in fact those, that's not just an authority structure, that was a servant structure. Yeah. Yeah. We serve the body of Christ because there's an apostolic thing on our lives. And it's a grace gift. It's a divine infusion of God's enablement in your life to see that you fulfill your destiny and awaken the destiny in others. 
So that's what a, that's what a, a gift like that is. I, I have no idea how we're doing for time, but let me start wrapping this up. Uh, and now, what modern, what? Oh, if we're going to be servants in the house of the Lord, let it be servants first. Don't be trying to storm the stage with a five-fold ministry thing. Let it be a natural overflow of what you do. If, 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 you're, if you're an evangelist, evangel. If you're a prophet, prophesy. If you're a deacon, deek. Right? Yeah. What, what we want to do in the church, you know, notice how we want to do in the church. You know what we do in the church? We want to, okay, let's get our governmental structure established here. We need, uh, da, 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 da. we start putting all the, okay, now we've got uh, elders, we've got uh, deacons, we've got, so now we can be a church. That's not the way the New Testament church, sir. They had so many people that God was pouring out a harvest in the city and so many people were getting saved. How are we going to take care of these that we love now? God has sent these folks for us to care for. So now let's figure out who, where the deacons are and get them to, and how, you know who you, how you're going to find the deacon? They'll automatically deacon. They'll deacon as naturally as, we, as they breathe. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of stupid, but you get it. You know, you, you know, uh, I had another one or two I was going to go after, but uh. <laughs> well, I may not be coming back anyway. So let me take, <laughs> uh, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Let it be the natural flow of who you are. All right. Now here, here we go. How does current worship movement avoid the pitfalls that befell other movements in Christian history? Pitfalls that brought about a premature end. Very important question. And we could do the whole morning on that. But I'll just say it like this. <clears throat> Live your life under, with an understanding that worship is not like discipleship. You know, okay, discipleship. Uh, what are all those movements that happen? Faith movement. Remember for a while, the season of everything was about faith. Then come the prophetic movement, the prayer movement. Yeah. The what movement? The holiness movement. So it's all of these things that we aspire to get right. And most of them were people who, <clears throat> born out of people who had a personal revelation. And then, then they would put out a book and pretty soon everybody that would gravitate or be, you know, magnetically drawn to that particular teaching and usually second and third generation folks that didn't get the personal revelation <coughs> would take it so far out of balance that it would start bringing damage. And so the second generation of any movement is a dangerous place to be. And so they would wind up falling as a result of the extremes and the Holy Spirit wants us to shake out of our balance and let the pendulum swing far enough to create a flow with him rather than getting out here and getting stuck and putting our identity on this and saying, now, if you don't do this, you are not living the righteousness that, and so on. So, so what happens is those movements would typically crash. And one of the reasons is, is because we don't understand seasonal emphasis of the Holy Spirit. Most all of those were about seven years they would run their course 
And you know what? It didn't devalue them at the end of seven years. It was just they would wind up ruptured in seven years and, 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 and leaving pain everywhere. But in fact, it was an emphasis of the Holy Spirit. And we need to have discipleship. We need to have faith like the faith movement. We need to have, right on down the line, we need those in our nature and in the, in the church, right? But what, we'd, what we would do is we would grab a hold of those seasonal emphasis and then the worship movement comes along. And we know because we've seen the cycles in the body of Christ, this is my 49th year, so I've had seven of those seven-year cycles of these emphasis of the Holy Spirit, and most of them crashed and burned on some level, but they were all truth, all valid, and all necessary, and all needed. But when they crash, what happens is, oh, but here comes one, the worship movement. Now, what? and the question was, well, let me tell you, first of all, we cannot think of it as a movement. It's not a seasonal emphasis. It's an eternal reality. We are created for it, and everything else needs to be the overflow of that worship life that is eternal instead of seasonal. Okay? Does that make sense? And so, <clears throat> and um, all right, now, now lastly, let's see. Live your life to inform Carry insight, inspiration, and impartation. I never want to stand up without bringing some facts or information that awaken possibilities. But I never want to live my life also without bringing insight. And, you know, and my insight is, is not necessarily theological a lot of times. The insight that I'm being asked about, my, my insight is a lot of times just trying to figure it out like all of us. Aren't we just trying to do better? And the insight that I've gained on the journey, well, I want, I want to be liberal and generous with that because our giftings and our things that we do, are, it's never about our genius. It's about our generosity. If we're, willing, if we're willing to give what God's given, God will keep on giving more. All right? So bring, bring your insight to people's lives. And you're not making demands on them to bring the insight born out of your experience. And, and the next one is uh, ne- never ever allow yourself to do what you do in the worship realm or any other realm that there's not an impartation that goes with it. I'd never want to just walk in and walk out without leaving something that somebody's going to need. That's... See, if, for example, just writing, for example, if you're a writer, you, I, I don't want to capture just clever sayings and little isms and stuff of my life. I don't write for that so that I can outlive my life when I'm gone. I've already outlived my life twice. Got that over with. I want to write because somebody one of these days might need that. Let that be the motivation of why you capture your life. And, and, and when I die, I don't want to die with a book in my hand. I want to die with a pen in my hand. I want to die making sure that the inspiration and the impartation is a, is a real thing because it's a 500-year vision. It's not a five-year plan. I, I'm, I, let me just read this, and this kind of pulls it all together. 
Worship is not seasonal. And to keep from being the next pitfall faller, what you do is you live as a fat musician. If you're a musician, that's faithful, available, and teachable. If you're a prophet, be faithful, available, and teachable. If you're a pastor, be faithful, available, and teachable. If you're a whatever it is, that, whatever signature of God that he's put upon your life that enables you to be of worth to the kingdom, be faithful, available, and teachable in it. Stay little in your own eyes and watch God create the impact that will give you influence. And there's a difference. Impact is percussive. It's an ASAF. Impact, doesn't that sound percussive to you? Impact, bang. There's a striking, there's an explosion of some sort, a dynamic to impact. And God will give you all kinds of gifts and giftings in your life for impact. But then, do you want to be one who impacts? You should, but do you really want to be one who influences? There's the question. If you're going to influence, influence is not about striking. It's about it fluid, fluidity. It's a river that flows, and it's going to go a whole lot farther than you are because of the impact you had, but the influence is what you're looking for. Now, here's that thing I was going to read for you. One of the most, lit, uh, and for, for the creative, the dreamer in all of us, one of the most liberating things that a creative person will ever learn is the difference between a thought an idea, and a dream. It'll save you a lot of wear and tear on your heart, let me tell you. A thought can come and go in a moment and never be remembered. An idea comes and stays long enough to create an inner conversation. But a dream turns the conversation into an inner inner dialect that shapes your destiny. Are you with me? I looked at an old tree standing in front of my house and I said, well, that's a beautiful old tree right there. That's a thought. I might take one of those fallen limbs and make a knife handle out of it. There's an idea. Or I'm going to build a company that makes the most beautiful knives that have ever been made and those knives will be keepsakes and family heirlooms that will be passed from fathers to sons for generation after generation. That's a dream. Sandy, do you want a thought or an idea or a dream? And so I just want to bless you today with the thoughts of God, kingdom ideas, and, and dreams that will shape your destiny because you're aligning yourself with the dreams that God has already got waiting in, that, in the heavenly realm for you to, to you, for you to live out. And demonstrate his goodness in it. And so Lord I just bless every person in this house. That feels in any way. Lack of purpose. Focus. Lack of destiny. Lack of. Lord we don't want to live with a, with a lack in our hearts. Or a lack in our mind. When Lord you've, you've provi- provided more than enough. For every, every uh, part of our life. Spirit, soul, and body. Lord, we want to be people completely whole. Those who live out of encounter with you, therefore carry encounters with you. Lord, I speak that as a blessing over every person, every musician, every every creative one in this house. 
and, uh, and, and even to those that don't even believe or feel that they're creative, Lord, awaken that in their life. Awaken those sensitivities and sensibilities and give us the sound of your glory. In Jesus' name, let us say what you say about us. In Jesus' name. Well, bless you guys. It's been so good being with you. Hallelujah. Man. So many things, so rich, so beautiful. This, we believe you've please, really enjoyed this you know, message. Comes For further hearing. information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 